Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm going to climb up here. Is that all right? Can you all hear me okay? All right. Thank you for having me. I'm going to come up here and use the podium because I've got some notes. And uh, I'm going to be sure to follow these because I'm, a, I'm a, not a pastor. I'm a program person uh, working for a nonprofit. And so when um, Sean asked me to come speak, uh, I was encouraged but also had to put some notes together. So um, I, I appreciate the space. Um, what I'm going to do is share a little bit about myself, share a little bit about the work of World Relief, and then I'm going to try to answer two questions that Sean asked me to answer, um, which are, what does Scripture say about the topic of welcoming the stranger, and how might members of IPC welcome our newest neighbors? Um, and I want to first start and, and say, uh, to encourage you all, and that Catherine and I walked in tonight, and we've already just felt you all are really good at welcoming. You're very hospitable. And I've, just, I've really been encouraged just from, since walking in the door um, have just felt welcomed. It's been warm. There seems to be a lot of um, just excitement and, and uh, encouragement uh, that I've experienced. So thank you for welcoming um, my colleague, Catherine Gross, and I um, this evening. And thank you also for just the way that uh, you've continued to welcome us as a partner over the last couple months through different opportunities. And we're grateful to, to explore deeper partnership as God um, opens doors for, for deeper connection here in the months ahead. Uh, but a little bit about myself. Um, I grew up north of uh, Atlanta, Georgia, in Alpharetta, uh, Georgia. Moved here about 10 years ago. I saw an MTR shirt in the crowd, and my wife came here to do MTR um, after we graduated from Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, but we had a little bit longer story before we got married. I actually, we, we broke up, and I went overseas to um, Nakuru, Kenya. And it was there I got to work alongside some local churches in a Kenyan context, um, with the PCA, uh, or the Presbyterian Church of East Africa, and where we, I got to work alongside different project managers and ministry directors to build sustainable programs for those on the margins in the community of Nakuru. And it was there I saw God's church, really for the first time it clicked, that, that God's church was designed to help meet the needs of the community, that we are to love God and to love neighbor. And it was in that space God Un unveiled in me the power of the local church as being the most dynamic social network that the world has to, to address some of the most challenging things that society throws at us. And so this is a picture um, with, with a member of my team named Lauren. We got to um, host a Bible study every week with some, um, some lower class workers in the community and, and got to share the love of Christ with them each week. Um, on their lunch break, and we got to raise some money for Bibles, and, and they got to read the Bible in their own native Kikuyu language, as well as Swahili and English, and it was just a, a really big step in, in faith building to see God provide um, for these individuals alongside some of the other ministry that we were doing. Um, and then when I came back to the States, I asked my dad, I said, hey, dad, I think I want to go marry this girl. Um, I said, I want, I want to marry this girl. Um, she's living in Memphis. What do you think my chances of her taking me back are? Do you think 50-50? And my dad said, it was more like 70-30, PJ. You left pretty quickly when you went over to Kenya. And, um, but lo and behold, she took me back. And her name is Haley. And we've got two little kiddos, um, Shepard and Ruthie. And um, I, I share these photos to say, uh, just to, to kind of um, say that when I, when I moved to Memphis, I didn't know what God's plan was. I, I thought we were going to be going back overseas. Um, and I think my mom was probably praying because uh, she would always tell me as a kid, you know, 
why do you have to go overseas? Why, why do you have to um, go to a faraway land? There's plenty of people in Atlanta. Can you just stay in Atlanta um, and, and work? And I didn't even understand the concept that the nations were here among us yet. Um, and it was through my time in Memphis um, through a mentor named Steve Moses and um, some others that are close to me that I got to realize, hey, the nations are here and we have an opportunity to engage. Um, and so now we get to do that as a family here in Memphis. Um, and it, it wasn't really until God helped me see that um, the, the things that I believe around uh, what the scripture says about welcoming the nations, um, did things really start to line up. And, and World Relief actually overseas in, different con- in a different context they teach what's called the Transformation Tree Curriculum. They, they gather pastors um, from all different villages and tribes across different villages in, in East Africa. They pull them together, and they walk through this Transformation Tree Curriculum. And what it is, if you guys can picture, uh, basically a tree, um, and that, that tree, the spiritual root system of that tree, or the, or the root system is, you kind of picture that as our beliefs, Right? And from having a strong, firm root system, your beliefs then inform your values, which then inform your actions, which ultimately will produce fruit. And that's a simple model that we use in context all over the world, all across Africa, Cambodia. Um, We've used it in the Middle East, that we have to look at what are some of the false beliefs that may be hindering us from more effective ministry so God can provide strong, good fruit through our values and our actions and ultimately having that fruit. And so it was really moving to Memphis and, and engaging some of this curriculum when I joined World Relief, realizing, oh, I actually don't need to go overseas. And I have some, even myself, some own false beliefs around who immigrants are and, and why they've come. And I need to unpack some more information around that and begin to understand alternative narratives. I need to look at what the scriptures say about being a welcoming person, a welcoming um, you know, member of God's family. Um, and so that's, uh, that's what we began to do. And that's really what World Relief does. Um, Quick background on World Relief. We've been open now for over 80 years, actually. Um, And in that time span, we've worked in over 100 countries and impacted over 100 million lives. And we've worked predominantly in those four areas listed on the screen there um, in in places all over the world. And our mission is to empower local churches, just like IPC or the PCEA church I was working alongside in Nakuru, Kenya, who's actually now a partner of um, of World Relief. World Relief wasn't there at the time when I was in Kenya, but they are now, um, and they're a part of that network. Um, uh, we work with churches to engage the most vulnerable in our communities. And so tonight we're going to talk more about mass displacement as we look at this, um, this theme of uncommon decency and, and how we can begin to be informed as the people of God and how we want to, to follow the scriptures. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in there. Um, oh, let me share this as well. Our work in Memphis specifically, uh, we really try to focus in these nine different areas. Uh, as we are welcoming families to our communities, uh, we feel that uh, there's a dynamic network of, of churches, of social service providers, of families, and, and collectively we're, we're trying to build welcome as families move from that initial welcome to stability and ultimately integration. And these are nine stability factors that we frame a lot of our programming around. And uh, one reason we like to share this with, with everyone is that community connections is right in the center of the nine, the nine um, icons there. And we really feel that that's very intentional because community connections, relationship, is at the center of this work. It's at the center of Jesus' ministry as he was um, building the beginning of, of um, the movement of the way and, 
And we see that we're made for relationship. And as families are moving along that pathway towards community integration, it's really the valuable social relationships um, of their friends and, and, and you know, new friends and, and, and their family um, that helps families receive a warm welcome. So that's, um, we build our programming around these things. And we have a whole department within our office that's focused around community mobilization to work with churches to build um, those community connections. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to answer some of these questions around um, what, what the scriptures say about welcoming the stranger. But let me pray real quick, and then, and then we'll jump in here. Father, um, thank you for this time. Thank you for um, IPC and the way you are um, just uh, moving in this church right now. Um, I'm so encouraged to be a part of this conversation. Um, thank you for the families you have here tonight. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds um, to receive uh, what you have for us. Um, I stand behind the cross and, and um, ask that you would speak um, through me in this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So what does Scripture say? Right? That's, that's, that's our primary um, source for how we should engage with the world. Um, so let's look at some of the biblical themes that we should consider as we're seeking to uh, welcome the stranger. Uh, the first one I want to unpack. Um, oh, let me, let me do this first. Um, at World Relief, we, we have pulled some statistics here um, at kind of the state of, of where we are as the evangelical church across the United States. Um, and in some polling that the Public Religion Research Institute performed, um, they found that 58% of white evangelical Christians support halting all refugee resettlement in the United States. And 59% of white evangelicals believe that immigrants are invading our country and replacing our cultural and ethnic background. So um, some troubling statistics, just about 6 in 10 evangelicals, um, white evangelicals believe this, um, which uh, is, would, would not necessarily be aligned to scripture. There's, there's a lot of nuance there. Um, another statistic, a couple other statistics here that um, just 12% of evangelical Christians say their views on the arrival of immigrants are primarily informed by the Bible. Um, another LifeWay research poll, which World Relief, World Relief actually helped kind of build this poll and conduct it in 2015, and we're about to refresh it here in, in 2022. Um, just 21% of evangelical Christians say they have never been encouraged by their local church to reach out to immigrants in their community. Um, thankfully, I think if, uh, if, if Dr. Lucas, uh, he's nodding his head, it sounds like, you know, I've been around now long enough to know that y'all are part of this 21%. So that's, that's encouraging to hear. Um, but let's, so let's, let's jump in and see what the scriptures say. Um, the first kind of core principle that we can see from Scripture is um, that uh, Jesus himself was a refugee. Uh, we see that um, he, in the story of, of um, Jesus' birth in Matthew, um, we see that uh, he was born, and as soon as um, the wise men left, uh, that King Herod had a decree out to kill all of um, the little, the, the firstborn children um, in the town of Bethlehem, and uh, Joseph had, had a vision, had a dream from an angel, and that he was to flee in the middle of the night. And so without any warning, without any planning or packing, um, they packed up what they could in that moment, and they fled and crossed over into Egypt. And, and um, a, a colleague of mine at World Relief, he says, um, this is actually a picture of his nativity scene, and his daughter says, hey, Dad, we're missing a key character in the story of Jesus' birth. We're missing King Herod. He's essential, right? Um, and we don't necessarily know 
um, what, what happened to the family when they arrived to Egypt, right? We don't know if they were welcomed. We don't know if um, maybe, maybe they heard the, they, were, they experienced some, some suspicious uh, neighbors saying, you know, maybe they're a spy from a foreign land. Um, maybe they thought, uh, their neighbors thought, hey, you know, Joseph, we have, we have too many carpenters here in this town. There's not space for you here. Um, but, so we don't really know. Um, or they, maybe they're welcome with open arms. But what we do know is that for the 100 million people that are currently forcibly displaced around our world, that they have a savior king, Jesus Christ, who has a story that deeply identifies with their lived experience on this earth. Um, and we can find deep, deep um, encouragement from that. And our neighbors that are new here in Memphis can find deep encouragement from that. The second principle... Um, there's a story of King Herod there. Um, the, the second principle that we can look to and kind of that should inform how we can be welcoming um, is that immigrants, just like every other human being, are made in the image of God. Right? We know, um, and I know this conversation is, has taken place here at the church, is that human life is precious and in need of saving, um, regardless of country of origin or status or any other qualifier, and that we need to do everything we can to protect human life. And so, um, you know, this is uh, a foundational belief of our faith as the people of God um, and from which everything must flow as we seek to engage with the world in some really complex issues. We see that um, these are fellow image bearers um, that we are engaging with. Um, and another dynamic that we have to think about when we're thinking about the image of God um, in immigrants that are coming to Memphis um, is that being... Um, being made in God's image, they have the spark of the divine. And they themselves, immigrants themselves, are able to create. Um, and so often it, 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 it comes up that um, the, the, the question of economics comes up when it comes to, to immigration. And so I think it's an important thing to address. Um, that, that, first of all, the immigrants, regardless, have value. right? Um, and, and we're called to acknowledge that dignity and that value in individuals. Um, but it does come up, you know, what, what is immigration, uh, what, is, what is our current immigration system and how things are kind of broken? What's it going to cost us as a people? And, and that's, that's a legitimate question. Um, but thankfully, the economics of, of legal immigration are actually on our side. Um, about 96% of economists in a national poll um, did affirm that, that legal immigration is positive for our country. And some, some long-term studies have found that over a 20-year period, refugees actually pay back into, um, ta into taxes $21,000 more than it costs to receive and, and resettle that, that initial refugee. Um, and so we, we see that it's, it's a net positive um, for the refugee program. Um, a similar study was done in Memphis, or I mean, in the state of Tennessee a few years ago, and they found that over a 21-year period, um, refugees in the state of Tennessee actually contributed more than double um, in, in taxes uh, to, to what it costs to, to resettle refugees in the state of Tennessee. And so thankfully that, that, that conversation um, around economics is, is in favor. Um, and, and that aligns even with, with what we believe in the scriptures as people made it in the image of God. Um, and sometimes we forget that, that you know, uh, we, at the beginning maybe we're concerned about what it will cost um, in, in terms of you know, hands to, hands to uh, mouths to feed, right? But, but actually immigrants and, and our newest neighbors are their, their minds and their hands and their feet, and they are able to contribute to, to our communities and to our culture. 
Um, a third uh, principle that we, we can cling to in Scripture is that God cares for widows, orphans, and the vulnerable, uh, and that includes sojourners. Um, it doesn't take much deep reading to see God's heart for those that are, that are on the margins, and we see that that's, that's God's story continuously, um, is, is taking those that have uh, the story of, of those that are on the margins, on the outskirts, and bringing them into the center of God's story. Um, in, in the Old Testament, we even see the, the word for sojourner, uh, the word ger, G-E-R, is actually referenced 94 times in the Old Testament. And we see that, that God's heart is very much for the sojourner. He even establishes laws to help um, sojourners, um, you know, among, among the Israelite people, he, he establishes laws to care for them, you know, such as, as asking farmers to, to leave some of their harvest, about 10%, you know, the edge of their harvest for, for sojourners to glean from. And we see even in the book of Ruth, Ruth benefiting from that law, right, as she's, she's traveling back to meet Boaz. And, and ultimately, that's the, line, the birth line of Jesus, right? And, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a powerful connection to God's heart for, for the vulnerable, for the sojourner. Um, we also see in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 13, um, I'm sure you all are familiar with, with the verse, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Um, and I'm, I'm not um, a, a Greek scholar, a biblical scholar, but I have looked up um, that, that phrase, hospitality to strangers, and maybe, Sean, you can, you can correct me later if this is wrong, but um, that, that word uh, philoxenia or philoxenius is love for the ethnically other. Philo meaning love, and then xena, um, you know, other ethnicities. And, and that is actually, um, you know, we want to show hospitality to our friends and, and have fun, you know, host folks for dinner and do those things, but God's actually also asking us um, to, to not neglect showing hospitality to strangers. Um, I'm going to read, uh, for, this, for this fourth truth, we'll, we'll read a passage here, but um, this, this other theme here is that we are commanded to love our neighbors, and I think we're, we're familiar with that passage. Um, I'm going to read a passage from Leviticus, um, chapter 19. It says, when an alien resides uh, with you in your land, you must not oppress him. You will regard the alien who resides uh, with you as the native born among you. You are to love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I, I think, um, again, not sure the background on this, but, but when, I, when I read that and I read, I am the Lord your God, it's almost as if God knew this would be a hard truth to swallow, right? And he's, he's reminding us, hey, and I'm the Lord your God, so, so this is an important one, right? And this, this might be hard for you, but remember, I am God and I am in control, and, and I, I want this for, for the holy nation of Israel. This is what I want for you as a people, um, to be hospitable and to be kind to the sojourner among you. We also see, you know, Jesus makes it really clear, um, even in, in Luke 10, uh, that, uh, that no doubt that there is an application for us today to, to love God and to love our neighbor, right? We know that um, when, uh, and that's, that's shown through uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right, in, in, in Luke chapter 10. Uh, we see that the lawyer um, or the legal scholar, the, the um, is questioning Jesus and asking, you know, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And you know, love, love, love God, love your neighbor, right? Love God with all your heart um, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, um, and then the follow-up question we know from, from the legal scholar is, okay, who is my neighbor, right? And, and maybe that, that, that legal scholar was asking for 
a tight definition of, of who, who my neighbor is. And Jesus, who knows that the human experience is maybe a little more nuanced than, than clean black and white answers, sometimes he answers with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he gives us this model of neighborly love. Um, Rick Warren, uh, pastor in California, speaking about this passage, he says, this parable doesn't say love your neighbor as long as they have a legal status. Um, and he also says it doesn't say love your neighbor as long as it's safe. Um, and we can acknowledge that that road was dangerous, right, um, in this parable. Uh, and perhaps even the priests and the Levites that passed by uh, the man that was beaten on the side of the road uh, were, were even being prudent in, in passing by because, after all, it was a dangerous part of town. Um, but they also missed out on the opportunity to show neighborly love. Um, and I think there's something in there for us. Um, and we'll, we'll speak to some of that here shortly. Um, I, I hear this passage, or I read this passage too, and I think about some of World Relief's church partners in other countries that are, are much closer to the conflicts. Some of our church partners um, in Ukraine, or some of our church partners in the Democratic Republic of Congo, or even some of our church, border, our, our church partners on the southern border um, um, on the side in Mexico that we partner with. Um, you know, these, these brothers and sisters in Christ are actually engaging in, in some really challenging ministry. Um, and what we've heard is that they're not necessarily doing it out of the belief that they're going to be safe as they're doing that ministry, um, but they're doing it because they never thought that um, following Jesus was, was going to be safe. And they knew that it was more so about being obedient to Christ um, and, and being the local church in their communities. But it is a serious question, safety. Um, and I'll, I'll talk for, about that for a moment as well, um, because uh, in our context, that, that's, that is an important thing for our families, and, and we want to be prudent as we're, we're leading our families and um, living in our community. Um, and thankfully, the, the refugee program is actually an incredibly safe program. Um, there, are, there are maybe some alternative narratives out there about that, but um, since 1980, when Jimmy Carter signed the Refugee Act of 1980, um, the U.S. has actually welcomed more than 3 million refugees in the United States. Um, and in that time period, since 1980, not a single refugee has taken the life of someone in a terrorist attack. Um, and that's not to say that the refugee processing, the refugee vetting process um, shouldn't be improved. It shouldn't be strengthened. We actually are for making sure that is a strong vetting process. There's numerous security checks through um, over seven different um, organizations, counterterrorism organizations, um, FBI, Secret Service, um, that, are, that are ensuring that that process, that program is safe. Um, and we should rely on our government to make sure it's a safe program. Um, but we also need to make sure that as, as the church, um, that we've not forgotten that our, our role is to ask first, who is my neighbor, and to be obedient um, in doing that. It's a more complicated question around immigrants that haven't come as refugees. Um, and just to pause for a moment, I think there's a lot of definitions in the conversation of immigration, and it can be kind of tricky and you can get caught up in a lot of different, different words and, and definitions. Um, a refugee is someone who has, has fled their um, country of origin due to um, fear or well-founded fear of persecution based on a couple different um, um, identifiers, such as political opinion, or religion, or social position, uh, and a couple other different um, 
uh, identifiers, but they've, they've fled their home country and have crossed the border into another country and are, are seeking safety in that, that second country. Um, and they've, they've claimed, uh, claimed asylum, and then, then they're being processed by the United Nations as refugees, and they go through that vetting process. Um, another definition or, or word you might hear a lot of, around is um, asylees, and those are individuals that Similar to refugees, they've, they've crossed over that border, and in the U.S. context, they have claimed asylum, saying, it's not safe for me to return home for fear of persecution. Um, and so we see um, at our southern border, families crossing over, and, and there is a legal process for those individuals to then follow. That's an adjudicated process um, to pursue um, an immigration uh, benefit or support. Um, and, and so that's, those are two definitions, but... But there are uh, numerous other individuals that we work with at World Relief, such as victims of human trafficking, um, humanitarian uh, visas like those that, you know, individuals coming from Afghanistan and Ukraine right now on our uh, uh, very specific um, visa type or um, temporary protected status. There's lots of different types of statuses and, and different things there that, that can be really nuanced. Um, but the question around safety is, um, I'm getting back over here, is, is to my talk is, um, that, you know, what about those that crossed our border illegally um, or maybe those that have, have come here legally but then overstayed their visas? Because um, that's another common way folks become undocumented or, or um, without documentation. Um, and World Relief has actually said for a long time as an organization that we're for stronger border security. Um, we should, we, we absolutely should know who um, and control who comes in and who goes out of our country. Um, but what, what isn't necessarily as reasonable is to suppose that, you know, the family that's been here for 15 or 20 years um, uh, would be a higher security risk um, than those that maybe were born in the U.S. Because th there's actually good data to show that, that foreign-born individuals actually commit um, crimes at lower rates than U.S.-born citizens. Um, and so uh, there, there's, there's more to unpack with that, but um, in regards to safety, um, as we're engaging our neighbors, I think we can first start with the image of God um, in individuals and, and, and then and begin to engage um, in the conversation there. Um, and that's, that's really what we're called to do as believers. So I'm going to go um, on to the next one. Uh, we've talked a little bit about some of our, 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 our core um, beliefs and, and what Scripture says. We've talked a little bit about economics and safety. Um, another common thing that comes up within our church in the U.S. and that is worth addressing as well is um, the conversation around uh, legality. And, and often Romans 13 can be cited. And um, it's a, a common interpretation of Scripture that says, uh, you know, the law is the law and we need to follow the law of the land. And absolutely we should. Um, but there may also be some nuance to um, this interpretation um, and we even see within the scriptures times when the law of the land was not followed, right? Like, for example, um, Hebrew midwives who didn't follow uh, Pharaoh's direction to, um, to murder, uh, you know, new children coming into Egypt, right? Um, or the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to, to bow down and worship the governing authorities of the day. Um, there are times when the laws of the land are just are, are not working and are broken, um, and there's a time to, to act. Uh, and and different, different churches, different denominations have, have different roles and views around what advocacy looks like for the church. Um, but this does remain a tension for us, is how do we 
follow the law of the land? And how do we show hospitality as people of God, as God's church? And that's a tension that we have to live in um, as followers of Christ. And the, the good news is actually that you can do both. Um, there's nothing against the law. I think there's a misconception um, sometimes that engaging someone without documentation uh, is you're, you're somehow breaking the law. And the good news is actually, as people of God, we can do that. And it's, it is legal to, to serve and engage and befriend um, to, uh, those that, that don't have documentation. Um, you can serve communion. You can host Bible studies. They can be a part of your church body. You can go to the park and spend time with them, and they can, you know, you can show them where to you know, help them get their car fixed, or they can fix your car. And, you know, there's, there's things we can do. We're not breaking the law, engaging in neighborly love with those that um, are without documentation. Um, and this is um, you know, strictly for, for those that are without documentation. World Relief serves a host of individuals, um, and this is kind of a subset of our clientele. But, um, so that's good. We can, we can practice our faith, and, and we can um, uphold the law. Um, and I think that, that is good news for us. Um, it's a harder issue for our undocumented brothers and sisters um, in, in Christ that, that are struggling um, with some of the realities of being undocumented. Um, especially we, we've seen statistically that uh, the, within the Protestant church, within the Catholic church, um, the immigrant churches are actually growing at some of the fastest rates um, in the U.S. Um, and it's important to understand that um, people are here, they're not here unlawfully because they don't disregard the law. Um, a lot of those that are here um, uh, without documentation would actually um, would love to get on a, a, a pathway to become right with the law and are more than willing to, um, and even World Relief nationally, we have services to help individuals see if there is a pathway for them to become um, a legal permanent resident. And actually about 15% of those that are here currently undocumented as the law stands, there are ways for them to access legal residency. Maybe they were victims of a crime or were trafficked or have family here um, and, and are able to, to adjust their status. Um, and these are some of the things I didn't really know before I joined World Relief. Um, and uh, it's, it's, um, th there, are, there are ways to, to, to help these families. Um, but I guess I want to... Um, kind of conclude with this point here just around kind of what world, what world Relief and some of our advocacy partners think around some of the challenges with our current kind of border crisis and, and where we are is that um, we really do think we want to make it harder to migrate to the United States illegally. Um, we want to improve, improve our border security. And we want to make it easier to immigrate legally and actually adopt um, a U.S. visa system that's more responsive to the labor market that's more responsive to families seeking reunification and some of the complexities we've seen with families being separated at our border. Um, we also want to create an earned legalization process for those that are here unlawfully, um, and that would probably include some kind of fine being paid by families, um, there being a process that um, where other qualifications must be met in order for someone to begin the process of pursuing citizenship down the road. Um, and so what this is not is, is not amnesty. Um, it's not mass deportations. It's, it's a way to um, address the complexities of our current immigration system that was really designed in the 1950s um, to really create updates. Um, we, there, there has been bipartisan support 
over the years, but has, has come up a vote or two short the last two times um, we've sought, uh, Congress has sought to pass comprehensive immigration reform. Um, but coming back to, to kind of how do we engage in the here, you know, day in, day out work um, of, of being a Memphian, um, loving our neighbors, um, following the scriptures. Um, a couple more principles, and then I'm going to um, kind of get to a few more practicals. But um, when we extend, let me see here, where am I? Yeah, when we extend compassion, um, we are serving Christ himself. Um, and we see this, um, you know, it's worth noting that those that are coming through the refugee resettlement program and those that are even crossing through other means, um, uh, they're fleeing their homes for fear of persecution. And for many, it's persecution based on their faith. Um, there are brothers and sisters in Christ um, that, are, that are fleeing their homes for, um, for what they believe. Um, and it may, you know, Catherine and I know this, and those in the resettlement world maybe realize this, but many people don't realize that um, over the last decade, the top nationality of refugees coming to the United States is actually those from Burma. And about 70% of those arrivals are actually persecuted minority groups, um, which are Christian groups. And so it's, um, that, that doesn't necessarily catch the, the, um, uh, the news cycle as, as commonly. Um, we also hear about the Rohingya Muslims in Burma that have been persecuted. But about 70% of that, that large Burmese population coming over the last 10 years um, are persecuted minority Christians. Um, and we see that Jesus, his heart is... is very much for those that, that um, are persecuted. And we see that um, there's an opportunity to, to engage in the ministry of Christ. You know, in Matthew, we see um, Matthew 25. Uh, we see that Jesus is actually, you know, he says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Um, and then after Jesus shares that, his disciples are kind of confused, and they ask, you know, Jesus, when did, when did we clothe you? When did we feed you? When did we invite you in, right? And he says, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so when we are engaging in this type of ministry, um, we're, when we're visiting those in prison, when we're welcoming the sojourner among us, we are, we are actually welcoming Christ himself um, into our homes and into our lives. Um, and so... Uh, I think that's, that's, it's worthy of noting. And um, actually, you know, when we see reductions in refugee program and, and we're not showing hospitality, um, we've, uh, there's a recent study that was, that was done um, in partnership uh, with an organization that focuses on um, persecuted um, religious groups. Um, over the last five years, we've seen a pretty dramatic reduction in the arrival of persecuted Christians. And these are Christians from the top 50 countries that um, Open Door USA that they track. Um, overall, I think it's been about 27,000. Uh, there's a reduction of 27,000 Christians. Um, this is from the top 50 countries. We see a pretty, a pretty drastic um, reduction. And so um, when we see reductions in the national federal program, uh, we, we are, we're witnessing um, our brothers and sisters in Christ remaining stuck in really difficult circumstances. Um, and that's, that's a challenge for our brothers and sisters. Um, one more, and then I think I think I'll, I'll be I'll be getting close to done here. Is um, when we welcome uh, others from other faiths, um, we have an opportunity to make disciples of all nations. 
um, there's, there's an opportunity for the local church um, to, to engage the nations among us. We can live out the great commandment um, to love God and to love our neighbor, and we can fulfill the great commission right here in Memphis, Tennessee. I think last year we served over 50 different nationalities at our office, um, not, not too far from here. People coming from all over the world, all, all different um, tribes and tongues and languages, and um, it's a, it really is an incredible opportunity. Um, and and, and there's, there's an opportunity to, to show the love of Christ, um, and if you think about these families that have, have seen maybe the worst of humanity, right? They've seen some of the most challenging things um, that this world could throw at them. And they, they come to Memphis and get to sometimes encourage my caseworker because when I was a caseworker in, in, in our programming, it just kind of dawned on me that, you know, this person sitting across from me from Somalia or from Iraq or Afghanistan has maybe never met a Christian in their life. Um, they might not have ever experienced the true peace that comes from knowing Christ. And we have the Prince of Peace in our hearts. And we get to sit down at a table and experience and be in relationship with that, with that person. Um, and in that context of relationship, begin to unpack what true peace um, with God looks like. Um, and it's, it's an incredible opportunity to witness and, and be in relationship with those. Um, and, and really, maybe in some of the darkest days, months, and weeks of, of someone's life, we get to walk alongside those families. Um, it, it really is an honor. Um, and so, so those are some, some kind of key points of, of, uh, that, that we pull from at World Relief and, and how we should be informed, you know, how, our, how our beliefs should inform what we value and, and how we engage in the world. Um, I want to share a quick video, um, and I think Ben's going to pull that up, and um, of just some volunteers that have, have worked with us in the past. World Relief, we just turned 10 years old. Our Memphis office just turned 10 years old, so I've been going through some old videos. And this is actually one of our first videos that we made. And I've just been encouraged, um, you know, just a couple years in, just some of the stories from our volunteers uh, from just being, yeah, I think it was maybe we were two or three years old at this point. And these stories we are still hearing today. Um, we, we still get to experience some of these things. Um, and so I'll then share a couple practical ways we can engage in, in the weeks and months ahead. Ben, is there anything I need to do for that? Or? I know the value of having someone who's from America to kind of walk people through the process of how do you live in this country? Help me with the language. How do you maneuver and just get by day to day? I don't have the opportunity right now to go overseas or to serve in that capacity, but the nations have come here um, to America and to Memphis. It's, it's just been good for us to just really get to know someone again from a, from a different culture. And I've been an admirer of Nathan's uh, strength because, uh, like I said, just imagine just going to a new place and not knowing anybody and just pretty much have to start from over and not knowing all the intricacies of a language. I learned Amina's story and um, I learned how um, how hard it was to be separated from her family um, and a lot of them have been and um, the determination to go ahead and to dig in here and to make it.
one thing about refugees that I've learned, especially from Somalia and uh, from Iraq and from uh, Nepal, is that uh, they really want to learn. Um, it's, it, this just isn't a job to them. It's almost, you know, it's their life. You, you bring them in, you start explaining something to them, and they just kind of really want to absorb it. Just the opportunity that they have, you can see that they just want to work. They want to learn. They want to adapt to everything that we've got going on here. You definitely want to. You know, once you see that kind of work ethic, you want to bring more in. And, and you know, I mean, we started off with three, and now we've got uh, 25, 26, maybe 27% of our workforce now is refugees from where we leave. why I'm coming uh, support us when they when we came here uh, first time it's uh, uh, many difference from my country here so they are support us so so uh, much essentially I've learned this building relationship because of just hanging out just being in their presence knocking on the door when they don't expect you uh, different times of the day is they just love that. That's part of the culture. It's just engaging in one-on-one -on -one conversation. Also, you know, if there's things that they've mentioned that they've never done, like the ladies are like, oh, I've never seen a bear. I've never seen a tiger. So one time we were able to take them to the zoo. It's really neat. It's neat to be able to, to take something and to present it to somebody else who really needs it. And whether that is friendship, whether that is um, just being able to share what, what I know um, or whatever, um, it, it makes all the difference in the world. You can never begin to estimate just the human potential and just where they're coming from and where they've made it in just a short period of time. It's just amazing. I've heard multiple ministers say, the nations are coming to Memphis. The nations of the world that we otherwise would never travel to, we'll never see, we'll never meet anyone from, but they're literally right here in Binghampton, they're in Hollywood, they're in East Memphis, they're in Cordova, they're in Midtown, uh, they're in Whitehaven, they're here in Memphis now. And let them know, you know, we're human beings, that God loves them, that Jesus loves them, and just share the love of Christ. We had to be patient, uh, we have to be open-minded and just be willing to just be really vessels um, for the glory of the Lord. I think we'll have Jan Mitchell, that last that woman that spoke last. Maybe she'll come and speak next time because she's she's really encouraging to to connect with. Um, but if we could flip back over to the slides, I'm going to close um, with with two quotes. Um, but really, this, this kind of, there are lots of opportunities to engage with World Relief and engage the nations. Um, and what we do at World Relief, we actually say, hey, um, as you're seeking to figure out what it looks like for you or your family to love your neighbor, it might not actually be with World Relief. And that's okay, right? What our prayer is at World Relief, we pray as a staff, is that God would meet people in their prayers and that he would reveal to them what that next step of obedience is for their family. And if that leads you to world relief, or that leads you to engaging the nations through world relief, then great, we're here for that. We're here for you. But we want you to be obedient to where God is calling you and your family. And it might take some 
Uh, it might require getting a little uncomfortable. Um, it might require reprioritizing some things in your life. Um, but as we're called to, to engage um, with our neighbors, um, that's uh, my, my family and I, we found that um, that step of courage that God gives us, it's, it's well worth that discomfort um, in the long run. And so World Relief has a number of different ways to engage. It was referenced a couple times. Um, a, a good neighbor teen is a way to engage where a small group of individuals, uh, maybe a couple families or a small group from your church, can come together and, and walk through some trainings with our staff around different culture, you know, how to engage cross-culturally, um, how to engage with those that maybe have um, been experiencing uh, vulnerability and some of the nuances there of trauma. Um, and then we will connect you with a family, and you can pray for them before they arrive. Um, you know, they, they maybe come through the air, they, they will come through the airport in Memphis International, um, and you can be there to welcome them and help them begin to rebuild their lives. And it really is, um, there's a couple different ways to do it, whether you're helping, you know, take folks to get their state IDs or, and, and performing some more technical support, um, or just being a friend and engaging um, as, as families with a newly arrived family and having your kids go to the park together and have, uh, you know, like I said, um, having them check out your car, because a lot of folks have mechanic experience, and it's great. Um, and so uh, that's happened to me before. Um, so I, I think uh, there's a lot of opportunity there. There's also um, more structured opportunities, uh, such as being a youth mentor, helping kids fill out their first college applications. Uh, there's, you can be a roadrunner and help folks get to English classes or medical appointments on a schedule. Uh, there's lots of different opportunities, and if you want to engage in this type of work with World Relief, like I said earlier, Catherine is our mobilization director. She has a team of volunteer coordinators that want to hear from you what your skills are, what um, networks you have in the community that you feel called to leverage for the sake of others, uh, and we can connect you, whether that be in the employment space, whether that be in um, you know, education or in um, you know, other kind of social service areas. Uh, there's, there's, you know, the people of God. God's church is, is a dynamic um, uh, group of people. And so we want to, to meet you all where you are and, and use, so you can use the skills that God's given you to, for the sake of others. Um, I'm going to close with this. Um, I'm going to read it because I don't have, um, oh, I didn't go over these slides beforehand, obviously. But um, these are some of our other uh, volunteer opportunities on the screen. Um, and we're going to have a booth here next week. I think we'll be in the back. Catherine will be here next week to, with some more materials that you can learn more about different opportunities. Um, but there's, there's different ways to show welcome um, as, as a church body. Um, I'm going to close with two quotes here. This is uh, from Ronald Reagan's final address to the nation uh, in 1989. Uh, it says, um, I've thought a bit of the shining city upon a hill. In my mind, it was a tall, proud city built on rocks stronger than oceans, windswept, God-blessed, and teeming with people of all kinds, living in harmony and peace. And if there had to be city walls, the walls had doors, and the doors were open to anyone with the will and the heart to get here. Um, and I think in this speech, Reagan actually references James Winthrop, um, who uh, was an English um, lawyer back, back in the founding of our country. And... Um, and uh, you know, there's a, he obviously, he, he kind of gives him credit for, for this concept of a city on a hill, but we know also that it's actually from Matthew 5. And, and um, I'll read that to close us. Uh, that you are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that it may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Um, and this is the opportunity for the church, right? This is uh, the church can be that city on a hill, and so God may see the good works um, in our city and say, wow, I want to be a part of that type of family. I, I want to join um, and, and be a part of this movement that the people of God um, are making in our city. So let me pray, and then uh, and we'll, we'll be done. Uh, Father, um, uh, we thank you for this time. And I ask that uh, the words of my mouth and, and the meditation of my heart um, would be pleasing in your sight, Lord. You are a rock and our redeemer. Uh, thank you for the way that you are making all things new. You are... Um, the great redeemer, you are redeeming nations, you are redeeming um, your lands, you're redeeming this city, Lord, you're redeeming your church. Um, And so, God, we thank you that you are gracious, that you've given us Christ, um, who is um, our our Savior, our Messiah, and that we can have new hearts through faith in Christ. Um, And from the love that you've given us, we can go out and love others as you've asked us to do. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you.